Hello and welcome to this week's episode in Season 2 of the Multi-Channel Success Podcast. Today we're going to talk about optimising all your channels in multi-channel retailing. And today I have with me David Cohn and Paul McDermott. Hello. Hello. So if I can just ask you, uh, David, what has been your multi-channel experience? Why is it relevant for us to have you here today? Well, thank you. Yeah, I uh, started my career in the days before online. So started as a classic bricks and mortar retailer. Over the years, I held a number of positions in many well-known retailers. Started off in the buying and merchandising, looked in the business strategy, but then gradually moved into the e-commerce space. Uh, All of the retailers I've worked in have had a combination of online and high street and one or two other channels besides. So... I've had long experience of dealing with the different challenges that managing those multiple channels create. So you've dealt with both sides and you've got the grey hair to prove it. Very much so. Paul? So I started my career in mail order and then worked through a number of different brands and retailers that have been a mix of single channel and multi-channel, mail order, store only, pure plays, and then of course multi-channel retailers. Um, So started at Great Universal, then Pentland Brands and Speedo, spent a long time at Poundland, and then Cotswold Outdoor and Ryman. So, yeah, and all manner of different roles. And all very well-known brands on the high street. So, in terms of what do we call this, there's, there's still an ongoing debate. I remember when the term omni-channel was created, and it was about 13 years ago. And when I saw that term, it was like, yes, that's it. That's going to be the one that everybody refers to this thing as, this holistic view of the universe that we're retail universe that we're trying to look at but multi-channel seems to be surviving quite well uh, in terms of a of a name so what do you tend to call it and why i talk myself around in circles about this quite a lot actually and and i've had job in fact my first omni-channel job title um i did resist and ask for it to be changed and and i lost Omnichannel for me is a great aspiration for an organisation to achieve because it, it sets out an ambition of how you want to treat your customers and what kind of experience you want to give customers, in my mind. But I think what often people refer to as omnichannel is the same. And yes. I don't believe that you can have the same experience for a customer across all of the different types of channels. So in some ways, it's, it's, it's a good word to use internally but in other ways, I find it quite unhelpful yeah. because it's, it's, it's not used in the right Yeah, way. I think it's good from a point of view of forcing an organisation to try and synchronise everything across all of the channels. But at the same time, as you say, you don't necessarily want to treat a customer the same way in every individual channel. There should be flex in that process somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably should have an opinion on this as I've called my business the multi-channel expert. So... I should be something of an expert in explaining what it is. But to me, just to take, take that point on board, I think retailers have increasingly got to think of themselves as brands. They've got to think of themselves as a business that means something to the customers. How they then reflect that across their channels may be different, but the way in which they represent themselves as a brand and what they mean to the customer has got to be the same. So the same values not necessarily the same execution. Exactly, same values, the same meaning, the same 
sense of what they deliver to the customer, but the way in which they execute that in store, the way in which they execute it if they sell on Amazon, the way in which they execute that online does not have to be exactly the same. And I think that was a trap some people fell into in the early days. So in terms of recent experience and COVID, how have things changed? Why, why do you think COVID has been important? Because certainly I think we all believe that COVID has been important in terms of changing mentalities and so on. What are your thoughts on it? Well, from my perspective, I think COVID, or more particularly post-COVID, has been a really important reminder that multi-channel or having multiple channels is still important. I think there was a period during COVID when we thought online is everything. Online is not only the future, it's the now. But I think we've been reminded since COVID where online sales have been very sluggish to say the least, where in many cases store sales have recovered, we've been reminded that the store channel and indeed some of the other physical channels are important and we have to remember that and we perhaps have to reorientate ourselves a little bit to put resource back into that 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 traditional channel. But at the same time the UK remains overshopped in terms of the number of retail outlets it has per head of population compared to many other countries and arguably there were too many shops at one point um, and clearly that has retrenched and I think Covid has helped focus people's minds onto primary and perhaps secondary locations and tertiary ones have gone to the wall. Yeah, look, I think I think there's no doubt, and, and we, we would all reflect this, that shopping patterns and shopping volumes have changed significantly. I think one of the things we'll come on to talk about is what is the role of the store in this, in this new environment. It has definitely changed. Uh, it's not what it was when I first came into retail, when fundamentally it was about location, location, location. It was about availability. It, now it's far more around experience yeah and it's a different experience that you get in store than you get online but it yeah it's definitely changed and we have to understand the role that the store performs yeah and Paul what are your thoughts on it the towns around the areas where where I live and over the last 20 years there have been different reasons why the shape of property on those high streets has has changed and you're right I drive past a quite a big out-of-town estate that is probably now 20% empty compared to how it used to be. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, um, I think it's really interesting that there are quite big brands and retailers now that are taking up more stores. They're snapping up store estate from, from retailers that, that have gone into administration. But often that's not pure growth. It's usually a swap. It's a, we'll take that one, thanks, because it's a bit better than the one we've got in a similar area. Yeah. So, and due to the such a high cost as well, I think retailers are being a little bit more choosy about premises they have. Yeah, and I, I think various retailers' location strategies have clearly been divergent and arguably that was part of the reason behind Wilco's failure was that their locations were less good than some of their competitors. But even when retailers have been taken over, for example, I'm thinking of Reese having been bought by Next, and they could have closed a whole load of stores as a result of that, but they haven't mm. um, because that's happened relatively recently, i.e. post-Covid. They haven't thought, oh my God, it's all going to be online and we'll, we'll get rid of them. I, I think, the, 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 look, the fundamental change, as I said, when, when I first came into retail, retailing was predominantly about convenience. Mm-hmm. Now, convenience is delivered online. You get yes. a wider range, you get better availability. 
you, you get things pretty quickly by and large. So the role of the store has to change. It can't simply be about convenience. Uh, that's not enough yep. for most retailers to survive. So the fact that some retailers are opening more shops is because they're seeing the role that the store can perform for their brand as a whole in the context of a multi-channel strategy. No, that makes complete sense. So how do you think retailers should think about digital and retail together, whether we call it multi or omni-channel or even total retail or just retail? How, how should retailers actually, at a practical level, start to put these things together? So um, for me, I think where it's, where it's always successful is where the, the retailer, the brand, has a really clear idea of what they stand for what their proposition is mm-hmm. and then the choice of channels first of all the existence of those channels are we going to trade in those channels and then how it's executed it's completely aligned to what that brand should stand for and what the proposition is whether mm-hmm. it's luxury value regardless of category so the consistency around the ethos of the business and you know what the customer is going to expect is the primary thing and then the channels should fit into that that makes sense to me, David. And, and I, again, I think you, Mark, made the point earlier on that when we first started talking about omni-channel or multi-channel, we, we thought everything should be the same across all channels. And I think where the whole understanding of multi-channel has matured is that we can now look at the different channels and say, well, those different channels serve different purposes. And for me, if you're a multi-channel retailer, you've got to be thinking... I say you've obviously got to have your brand consistency, but you've got to be thinking what are the specific things I need to deliver through this channel and how do I deliver it through this channel? Yes, yes. And I, I certainly I've worked with retailers who have been really quite good at taking a different approach to social media channels, for example, in being much more, much less formal through those, through social media than they are through their normal store or, or web based channels. Yes, I think, I think the marketing, one of the fundamental challenges for any retailer, be they single channel or multi-channel, is marketing and driving traffic. Yes. Uh, and I think what you've described there is there's a much more organic, channel-specific approach to marketing. It's all within the context of a clear brand ethos and a clear brand proposition, but there are different tones, there are different messaging types there are different consumer groups that you're trying to appeal to and for me that marketing channel challenge is one of the key opportunities that we've got now with all of these multiple ways of reaching the customer yeah and we're going to we're going to talk about data and analytics in a little bit but you know clearly one of the things is that you can use the data from one channel to inform what you do on another channel yeah and in, in even some channels you 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 get limited data and you can't use it. Amazon's a great example of, yeah. you know, you don't own the relationship with that customer. Often you don't even know the customer. According to Amazon's rules, you definitely can't market to them. Great channel for building brand awareness, great channel for, for increasing volume. And even within that channel, really important choices around are you going to self-fulfill? Are you going down the prime route? Is it self-prime? Is it Amazon fulfill prime? Even within one seemingly simple channel there's some really complicated and expensive choices to make around yep. how you execute yep. so the execution across all of these different channels is really key yes i mean you know, in the old school we would have just tried to drive everybody online 
and then fulfill them through the online store. Um, but now you'll have a store on Instagram, you can have a store on TikTok, so you can actually take the orders in those different channels and then try and fulfill them through the common back-end fulfillment. In terms of channels and your choice of channels, how, how do retailers, how should retailers think about that and how they choose the appropriate channels? For me still, it needs to start with, once you've, you know, you're aligned with your own brand proposition, I think the next consideration then is your customers and identifying if your customers are shopping across those different channels is the is the is the primary consideration then for you know should we be going with more stores should we be going down an eBay route whatever it is it's really then got to match your your customer and it needs to be a little bit more scientific than are our customers Gen Z therefore we need to be on TikTok might be a good decision but I think looking a little bit more into the data if you, if you have a niche brand and you've got a very clearly defined audience that kind of makes sense but yeah. many organizations don't have that sort of luxury yeah and if you're a more general retailer then yeah you clearly you need to plan it yeah and, and, and everybody has finite resources as well so you can't do all you know all channels for everybody You've, very few people have the luxury of being able to afford that yeah I think Assuming that most of the people we're talking to are already in multiple channels, mm -hmm. then they'll have some stores, they'll have a website or more than one website, and they may be trading through the likes of Amazon and eBay. The, the real question for them is how they deploy their resources. What are the things they focus on? And to come back to Paul's point, it's about understanding where your customers are and what is the most economical and effective way to reach them. Mm -hmm. So if your problem is brand awareness, you may find that you want to invest in a TikTok campaign or an Instagram campaign, or you may find that it's more effective for you to open a big new store on Oxford Street. The challenge for you is to identify which of your expenditures, which of your efforts are gonna have the most impact in reaching the customers where there is the biggest growth opportunity. And at the moment, there's an awful lot of uncertainty over, you know, we, we've got a relatively stagnant economy. If it's growing at all, it's it's marginal. Um, what is happening to footfall in certain locations? You know, Oxford Street, I would argue, probably still hasn't recovered from uh, to pre-COVID levels. I, I haven't seen any data recently, but I, the last data set I saw uh, was still implying that and, and walking down it you don't feel like it's busy like it used to be. Um, and, and that's clearly a prime location. So how can retailers make decisions with that degree of uncertainty going on right now? Magic question and no magic answer. Um, the the P&L you know, is usually where people will look to first. You know, the last three years of so much volatility and uncertainty and change mm -hmm. in the landscape for, for multiple reasons. The ability to try and think a little bit longer term about the customer and measuring your customers in the organisation that coming through the retailer, as well as the pound notes, I, th I think is becoming really key. And yeah. Switching to that model of, of measuring is uh, a, a, for the longer term is going to be much more important. David? Yeah, and I think you, you raise a really good question there because for those of us that have spent a long time in e-commerce, test and trial is meat and drink that's that's how we operate we try something we put a in many cases Although a lot of people have stopped doing that because e-commerce has stopped growing so 
but but there's still there's still it's still relatively easy to try something and see how it goes when you get into questions like should i lay a store down in in a town center or a city center that's a much bigger question and and that's why it's more difficult now sometimes to think through your customer acquisition strategy or brand awareness strategy because some of those easier things that you could have done in a pure e-commerce environment are a little more complicated when you've got a, a multiple channel environment. Yes, and obviously a store opening can take a, a very long time. I mean, you know, IKEA and Oxford Circus would be an example where they've gone back at least another year. Maybe we should take a break here for a message from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Better Commerce. Ever struggled with how to get your online store started or feel like you've been left behind with old and dated technology? Well, Better Commerce offers a completely composable commerce stack that allows retailers to upgrade their technology with a combination of flexibility and out-of-the-box features. When better is available, good is not enough. Better Commerce, your composable commerce partner. Do you think that some retailers actually jump to conclusions a bit too early in terms of the the new future of digital being everything uh, and therefore cut back their stores too hard? Do you think that's happened? Look, I don't know the ins and outs of the economics of the likes of John Lewis. They closed a lot of stores. What I do know is, is around the same time, Heels, where I was working at the time, we were putting down concessions in Phoenix around the country. Uh, it was a nice win-win because it gave us brand awareness in certain locations where we weren't, and it gave Fennec a chance to fill some of the space, which was probably becoming a little under-occupied. Yeah. So I think, to me, the long-term future of the high street, the long-term future of high street space is a really complex and difficult question that we can't answer today. But I th- still think there are opportunities to both trade well to try things mm-hmm. and to get the benefits of brand visibility and brand awareness without having to make multi-million pound decisions either to open yeah, stores so pop, or close pop-up them. shops becomes a much bigger part of the mix in that sort potentially of you absolutely described. potentially and and even you know with the return to travel <clears throat> you know airport retailing is suddenly starting to boom again so there are there are with a little bit of creativity and imagination the best retailers are, are, are certainly looking at a much more disparate mix of where their store estate is. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So in terms of retail space, how should people be thinking about their retail space compared to how they used to? Has, has, has any thinking changed or do you think it's still the same approach? The, the phrase that's often used is how are you going to bring online into a store? Really, it's about how do you make sure that your customer can have a really good shopping experience that has a good basket value attached to it. Mm-hmm. And should that be using technology, is technology going to aid that shopping experience and therefore you know, the conversion rate in store and then your average basket value? So that's probably the biggest thing that, that I can see with people using space in store. I think for me, and, and this has been talked about quite a bit, is rethinking what the KPIs of a store are. If a physical store exists only to make profit in its own right, then you're making the job really tough. If you think of a store as being a brand ambassador, uh, being somewhere where online customers can experience the store 
in real life and you attribute some of your online sales to that store, you, you attribute some of your corporate sales to the fact that you have a store, then I think you're seeing the store in the way that you should see it in the modern environment. Yes, and I, I've, I've certainly worked with retailers in the past who have done no advertising on the basis that opening a store on the high street was the advertising at that stage, and they were quite effective at doing that. To elaborate on David's point, it's, it's really interesting looking at some of the brands now that have great flagship stores, particularly on, on you know, Oxford Street, Regent Street. Gymshark's as a recent example, Nike's been there for a while. And I, and I think going back to channel strategy, even Nike's retail channel strategy has channels within it. Mm-hmm. You know, Oxford Street is one fantastic experience. Cheshire Oaks is a different retailing experience altogether. So just even, even with that, the complexities and the opportunities of what retailers can do with space in different locations is, is you know, it's really important, really useful. Yeah, and Nike's an interesting example because clearly they've dramatically reduced their wholesale channels and they are getting closer to being a D2C brand. They're, they're not and they probably never will be, you know, or they won't be for another decade or so, but they are definitely moving in the direction of trying to be a D2C brand. So therefore there must be some inherent advantages in being a direct-to-consumer brand and having that control over the experience. We've looked a lot in online about trying to bring storytelling and experience into online. It's very difficult and there are certain things you simply cannot replicate that you can do in a store environment. So the social element, having people around you, whether it's fellow customers or whether it's members of staff, the sensory element, the storytelling element, yes, of course you can tell a story online, but you can tell such a bigger story when you're in a physical environment. And I think, again, this is how retailers have got to think of the store. They've got to think of it doing the things that are more difficult or impossible to do online. I say thinking about it in the traditional way, which is I am only here to sell stuff, is a road to ruin. Yeah, and certainly we know that Gymshark is not thinking about its flagship store in terms of that. It's a brand investment, and they've openly said that that is a brand investment. But clearly not every store can be a brand investment. Okay, so I kind of want to move on from there to the sort of data and analytics side of things. And how should retailers be thinking about this? We're going to come on to loyalty later. But in terms of the way that people are using data, are there ways in which we think people should be moving there's there's lots of opportunities around empowering providing more knowledge decision making coming from different levels of the organization rather than very conventionally top down but it's the opportunity to measure things differently and predominantly measure your business performance or your brand performance through the customer yep. rather than through the pound note so for me that's the that's the real opportunity that's the that's the end game of where you know I'd want to be heading if you know working in retail. And, and I think we're all pretty much aligned with you on that. Yes, I think I, I come from a background where you'd look at your sales and stock figures religiously every day <clears> of the week, and you'd make your decisions based on whether things were selling or whether you had overstocks. We now have the opportunity to look at customer behaviour. We have an opportunity to look at the why as opposed to the what. Mm -hmm. And that philosophy should permeate 
to the whole organisation. I think in many organisations, buying is still largely independent of that that sort of understanding. And I think that's a big area where multi-channel businesses should be looking at bringing their online data, their understanding of customer behaviour, really inculcating that in, into the buying and merchandising teams so they get that wider perspective, I say, not only on what people are buying, but which customers and, and why they're buying what they're buying. And, and how they're buying it, through which yep. channels, how they're getting there, how they're being retained. The, the how is just enormous yeah. and it's, a, it's fantastic potential when you've got the right data set up internally. Which would be a topic for another time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and in terms of how people, how retailers should organise themselves, do we have any thoughts on that? Because my, my view is that quite a lot of things within an organisation can be quite siloed. You've got typically store ops and store-based uh, activity and you've got digital and e-com as a completely separate entity. What have we learned over the last few years in terms of what works? You're right around the silos. There's, there's no getting away from that. And, you know, conventionally we organise ourselves vertically and, and, it be, and it can become quite efficient. But it's not how customers think about shopping with us. No. I'm really interested in these roles that have come up over the last few years that seem to be a little bit more horizontal. They don't work in one vertical in the organisation. They need to work across them. So, uh, you know, more of these customer roles and customer experience roles that work across every channel where you're operating, I'm really keen to see how that skill set develops and how organisations can put horizontal people through the organisation without getting really complicated and matrix and... Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess there's an inherent challenge there in that many of the people will have come up through digital or store and therefore trying to get them to think customer and cross-channel, multi-channel, whatever you want to call it, um, is inherently quite hard. Yeah, to me, organisation structure is a bit of a red herring. And I've seen many, many companies go down the route of thinking they can address their business and cultural problems through changing the way that people are organised. What's critical is to change the culture to being, number one, a more customer-orientated culture, and number two, a more data and evidence-based culture. Exactly how you do that, I haven't really got a great answer for, but I, but I think that's what you've got to be striving for. You've got to be putting an understanding of the customer psychology and their behaviour into everybody's jobs. Okay, so what you're saying is it would depend on the nature of the organisation, its historical situation, and maybe even the the inherent biases of the leadership team. Yeah, it may require a champion, it may not. Uh, I've seen as many examples fail as I've seen work. Okay, fine. So moving on, in terms of where should retailers be investing next? You could probably put these things into categories of investment that have been consistent over the last 10, 20, 30 years. Um, But predominantly, you know, data is it's not just a hot topic, it's really fundamentally changing about how business can be effective. So investing in, first of all, technologically, can you bring in data? Can you collect data across these different channels? Store we've been talking about is, you know, is fundamentally 
difficult and different from, from an online platform where, by definition, there's much more data. So there's the collection of data, and then secondly, collating, making sense, filtering, analyzing that data is gonna be really key, which how strong AI is going to be, it will still need to be supported by some great people. Yes. So the, the whole piece around data is, is obviously- But AI will help people interpret data more effectively it'll highlight the outliers in a trend and you know it, it will allow people to use data in a more effective way I think yeah and if I if I take a slightly different viewpoint on this I think you've got the analysis based approach to business development but for me there's also a big emotion based and I think if I were a multi-channel retailer now I'd be seriously investing in brand you have to drive brand awareness. You have to drive yeah, yeah. brand consideration. Now, you can judge the things that you do, the things that you execute by data, and you can enlighten what you do by your better understanding of the customer. But actually, some of those old skills that people had in the, in the old days of advertising where you would launch some brand campaign without any real idea, yeah, is the big cultural change for me is no longer thinking of yourself as somebody who just stocks product, but thinking of yourself as somebody who has an idea and a sense of meaning. So for me, I'd be investing heavily in both the, the sense of how I communicate the brand that I am and really understanding what are the best marketing channels for me to reach more customers and to bring my brand onto the consideration set. And then down at the other end of the funnel, what brands and retailers have got to do really well. Once you've acquired a customer, understand who they are, why they came to you, how they came mm -hmm. to you, and how you're going to keep hold of them. Yeah, and to try and reinforce some of those behaviours. So we talked before offline about using digital to drive people in store and potentially vice versa in ways that very few retailers actually appear to do today in fact none of us could actually think of anybody we know who was doing it so that's the sort of corollary of having a stronger brand which will get people to visit you but at the same time allowing you to have that conversation with customers and say okay you haven't been to store why have you not been to a store or how can I make that store attractive to you as a digital customer and understanding which of those customers that message would really resonate yes and which ones like to shop online thank you very much yes Exactly. Okay, so a couple more questions and then we're done. So in terms of how should retailers deliver a big project? Because a lot of what we're talking about is effectively transformation in one way, shape or form, and it's in your various job titles you've had, <laughs> um, Paul. Uh, what, how, how should a retailer think about delivering a big project? Because they're fraught, aren't they? Yeah, I think first of all there's a, a real risk in using the word project because there's an inference and there's an endpoint. Project, program. Yeah, so these things really have got to, you know, the, there's a piece of change that you need to do in the retailer and then find a way of how that change can continue because it needs to be endless. Yes. And continuous improvement. Retail projects, programs, they always take longer than you think they're going to take. They always cost more than you think they're going to take. So I think for me, setting out the plan of what you need to, what you need and want to achieve, and then being prepared to adapt along that plan is really, really important. So have a clear strategic intent, but be agile with a small a, 
as to what gets delivered precisely when. Absolutely, definitely. And perhaps be a bit more opportunistic. And then within that, old drills still apply. You need great people and you need great partners. For me, I'm a bit of a sceptic when it comes to big projects. I think retail has a tremendous capacity to think it needs to do big projects when it actually doesn't need to do big projects. And the website replatform is a classic. People get to the point where they think, I have to replatform without really thinking about why do they have to do it. So the single thing I would say here is think very carefully whether you need that big project and map it against doing lots of smaller projects. Yes, but if you if you're on Magento or something and it's come to the end of your li- end of its life, it's not supported anymore, then clearly you are going to have to re-platform. You, look, you, sometimes you you are put into position. Yeah, that, that's an example where you say, "Well, yes, we do have to do a big project." But I would vouch that of a hundred big projects that retailers embark upon, seventy-five of them were not necessary. Fair enough. Fair enough. So. What last words would you have for a retailer in terms of how they can make the most of the omni-multi-channel opportunity? It's obvious stuff, and it's things that most retailers and brands say, and it's in their values, which is putting the customer first and really being customer-centric. An ethos that I've worked with is in, in every meeting you have an empty chair, and in the empty chair is the customer. The analogy is that you can ask the customer, what do you think about that and what would you do if mm-hmm. we did that? So being customer-centric is, is clearly easier said than done, but it, it's pretty fundamental. And my sense would be, make sure that everything you do passes the so what test. Uh, there's a massive temptation to take on things because it's the latest buzzword or because it's what everybody else seems to be doing. Always ask yourself, so what? What's the real benefit I'm going to get out of this? And what's the real benefit the customer's going to get out of it? Sometimes it's the customer. customer Let's be honest, sometimes (coughs) it's the customer, sometimes it might be cost, sometimes it might be efficiency. There's got to be a clear and obvious benefit. And if there isn't, park it, get rid. Even if you've been doing it for 20 years. Focus on the important things. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners, and I hope you'll join us on the next one. Thanks to our sponsor, Better Commerce. When better is available, good is not enough. Better Commerce, your composable commerce partner.